opened it, we came. It's just a puzzle box! Oh no. It is a means to summon us. Explorers in the further regions of experience. Demons to some, angels to others. It was a mistake! I didn't, I didn't mean to help, but it, it was a mistake! You can go! We can't. Not alone. You solved the box. We came. Now you must come with us. Taste our pleasures. Tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. Wait! 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 Please wait! No time for argument. Adam, you've done this before, right? Many, many times. Yeah, uh, I just feel like if you're going to create a device or, or, or if you have a device that allows you to reach through a dimension and rip somebody through that you can then torture fuck for eternity, um, you probably want to make that device as user-friendly as possible just to up your chances, you know what I mean? Like, to, you know, just to make sure you, when you cast that line, you get a tug, you know? Yeah, you don't want to be too hard. And on that note, welcome to Geek Squatch, where nostalgia finds a giant hairy beast and spits out a podcast all about 80s and 90s nerd culture. I'm Caleb McAllister, your host for this week, and on this episode, we're talking about the low-budget cult Halloween film, Hellraiser, uh, if you can figure that out already. <laughs> um, joining me this week is Brandon Kramer. What's up, Brandon? Hey, hey, what's up? Uh, Alex Hirsch. Yeah, hey, uh, I thought we were talking about Ernest Goes to Camp, but fucking whatever, man. <laughs> I pulled a switcheroo on you, mm. and... Uh, Special guest this week, Remy Ransom. What's up, Remy? Hi, I'm filling in for Colin Perkins. Um, I will try and do my best to work sports in as often as humanly possible. Like, <laughs> yo, how about that game going on right now? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's between some guys who hit the ball and some other guys who also hit the ball. That's right. Uh, maybe throwing an A once in a while. Cause he's, like, he's from like precariously close to the Canadian border, if I remember show lore, right? Yeah. Yeah. Might as well I think be. that was his name in our group chat for like a year. Was basically Canadian. it was it was it literally was basically Canadian. Uh, so in this episode, we're going to talk about like what is Hellraiser. Uh, talk about Clive Barker for a while, and then a brief plot synopsis. Uh, we're going to talk about the book versus the film because believe it or not, there is a book. A fucking course uh, there is. Of course, so and then we're going to talk about uh, specifically Frank, the Cenobites, the Puzzle Box, and then. If we've got some more stuff to talk about individual cast members, we'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about, you know, some more sequel stuff. Uh, so with that, let's let's move on to talk about what in the heck is this Hellraiser movie? Now, I don't know about you guys. Um, I should ask you where you were introduced to it. I personally saw Hellraiser 2 first, um, circa okay. 1999-ish. I was at my grandmother's house. Um, late at night, staying up past my bedtime because I was all, you know, kind of being cute and rebellious. And uh, I found it on TV and I turned the sound off because I was scared the crap out of me. 
and I watched the whole thing with the sound off and pretty much figured out what was going on. Yeah, no. it's not. I mean, dialogue's not important, really. It's, <laughs> nah, it's, it's, you it's probably could point. totally watch this whole movie with no dialogue and get it. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, you, Alex? Uh, when was the first time you watched this? So I lived with my aunt when I was five on an Air Force base. Uh, and I had two older cousins, and they had this thing around. I lived with them over, you know, the fall and Halloween and wintertime. Um, and around Halloween, they exposed me to all sorts of rad shit that probably turned me into the person I became today. Uh, one of those things, among those things, was uh, Hellraiser. So I was probably, I was four. This would have been like 1992, 93. Um, and it was fucked up. It was not a cool thing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no. Weirdly enough, the thing I hear from a lot of people is like, "Oh man, the the, the chattering teeth guy. Uh, what a bad the chatterer! What a bad boy he is!" And I'm like, "That's eh, fine. I mean, yeah, sure, that's cool. What got me was the fucking horrible monster. What lived in the walls of the hospital, and then they encountered later in the movie. Mm-hmm. That's the one. That the fucked engineer me up. character. That's what fucked me up in the end, dude. I was like, no, 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 thank you. You talking about Morn from Deep Space Nine, the guy who's always <laughs> at Quark's bar? <laughs> there you go." I'm talking about that talking about that fucking hydralisk. They're not very dissimilar. No, they're really not. Uh, that act- character was actually created for the for the film. The engineer is in the book, but uh, is just basically a being of light. Uh, they needed a monster at some point and came up with that. It's it's actually got the worst flub up in the entire film where you can see, see the fucking feet in the, the dolly yeah. that it's on. <laughs> yeah, if you look real closely. Um, what about you, Brandon? Did you ever watch this thing? If, I'm guessing, like uh, you, like me, you probably were never allowed to watch. I was like certainly wasn't allowed to, but I did watch about a good five minutes of it when I was a kid once. So I lived like <laughs> down the street from my best friend growing up, and uh, they were like a. It was it was they were a Mexican family, and his grandpa loved to tell us a story about this Mexican witch that lives in in waters and like calls her kids home. Like I don't know if you guys ever heard this like this this like tale or whatever but he would tell Sounds us like this the ghost Baba story. Yaga kind of yeah I, something like that i forget what her name was now but we had a ditch across the street like when we'd walk back and forth in our houses and and this, she lived in water anyway the reason i bring that up is the first time i tried to watch hellraiser i got about five minutes in at his house and i lived about a half a block away from him and tapped out and was like i'm going home and <laughs> and the and like sprinting home i remember sprinting home because I was so scared of this other, like, this ghost story I'd also heard. Like, ah. I was, it scared me to death. I couldn't handle it. And You um, speak of La Llorona, the crying woman. That's exactly, oh my, <laughs> dude, I just fucking got chills. I'm not lying <laughs> right now. That just messed with me right there. That, dude, that's 100% what it was. Like, she drowned her kids, and then she was killed. And, like, for the rest of eternity, she searches bodies of waters for her kids. Yeah, anyway, she cries and lures children to rivers Fuck and shit. Off right now, um, dude. That is you can't. You know that's not real because any mom like would totally be like, "I'm out, dude. What? Huh? Like we got places to go. People, you know, like I'm cool. I go on vacation. Right Did now. you know they made two Sex in the City movies? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my memory of it for sure. I didn't revisit it till I was like in my mid twenties, and I remember kind of watching it, kind of in passing. And I rewatched the time. I've never watched any of the sequels, though. Okay, I'm not okay. a big what horror. I'm not a big horror guy. Just yeah, just putting no, that. I, there. I I had a feeling you weren't. I'm really I'm not. not either. Um, you more of an even Stevens guy, or what's up? Pretty much. What are we yeah, like Malcolm <laughs> in the Middle. 
that kind of stuff. Yeah. Disney versus Nickelodeon awesome. kids, man. I'm telling you, right? That's exactly. Right. That's the difference. Are you? What about you, dark, Remy? Man? Um, you know, I saw this movie when I was like nine or ten originally, and I did that thing where, like, you know, you have like your blanket and you're kind of like, eh, I don't know about this, and like, you know, I wasn't big into horror films, and I turned out like a. Uh, Two years later, when I was at a buddy's sleepover, uh, whatever you want to call it back in the day, hanging out overnight, does that make it cooler or just sound like whatever? I still have sleepovers, dog. It's fine. So we're we're playing like Hexen. I I did an MMC about this briefly where we were doing uh, playing Hexen uh, four player on the N64 there. And, uh, you know, we stopped to watch like scary movies the rest of the night. The one brother's like, oh, man, we should watch Hellraiser. That's terrifying. I'm like, oh, I don't know what that is. And, like, later on we watch it. I'm like, oh, I've kind of seen this before, but, like, you know, peek it out from a blanket once in a while. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know about this movie. Uh, how how much am I going to get scared? Why does this guy have no skin? Like, that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, so I, I've seen it a few times. I revisited it uh, the other night when you told me, hey, you need to be on the show this week. I was like, okay, uh, I guess I'll watch that movie again. Um, but, yeah, so I watched it and it was absolutely not as scary at all like just never like even like when a teenager uh, i was just like nope this really isn't that scary at all this is really kind of dumb and like i mean it's horrifying it's just not scary you know yeah uh i mean for as far as aging goes this movie hasn't aged well in the scary factor i think it's you know pretty tame however at the time it the MPAA was considering giving this an X rating. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, that is mostly to do with, with the fact that there were, the sex scene was a lot longer. Uh, there yeah. were more stabbing specific. And then like when Christy grabs Frank's guts out, uh, she literally, he showed the whole thing, which is in the book as well. Like I should mention that the book and, and the movie are, very similar. I will talk about the specific differences later there. They are minor, but um, this movie was released on September 10th, 1987. It's pretty young. I, I was only five and everyone else was pretty close except for Alex, of course, because he's probably either not born or just born. Not born yet. No, it's a baby. Baby, baby. Um, and it's uh, it's by writer, director, Clive Barker centers around a main character, Frank Cotton and his brother, Larry and Larry's wife, Julia. Um, oh, and Larry's hot daughter, Kirsty, who's apparently a savant at solving puzzle boxes. Right? Mm-hmm. Which makes yeah. her even hotter. She got trained by Verizon. Like, that's yeah. how she did it. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Uh, the film adaptation uh, is of Clive Barker's novel or novella, The Hellbound Heart. Um, and that was only published in November of 1986. So less than a year after he publishes this this novella, he makes this film. That's pretty ballsy, I gotta say. Can I cut in real quick? Sure. Because like yeah. the novella, like I had a friend and I just uh, I, I do this thing once in a while where I smoke pot a lot and I quit uh, randomly and I just quit pot again. So I was like looking for something to read and like kind of fill my head with and read the novella. The novella is scary as shit, like compared to the movie. Like the novella, definitely like Clive Barker is a good writer. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue with that all you want and say, oh, you know, it's not very scary horror or whatever, but, like, it was horrifying to read. And there were a few parts where, like, I had to put the book down, and I'm like, nah, I'm done with this for right now, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, he he was actually got a quote from Stephen King for, I don't think it was for this book, I think it was for one of the books of blood, that basically said that he is the new face of horror. That's pretty impressive credentials. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I listened to you can listen to the entire audiobook of this on YouTube right now. Um, some guy uh, ripped it 
off of probably a cassette tape. Uh, it's about four hours long ish. And it's worth, it's worth listening to. It's read by Clive Barker himself. It's very good. Hmm. And probably less than legal. Thanks, Caleb. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I didn't say it was legal. I'm just saying you can do it. It's your, you're mean. able to do it. You are able to do it. I'm not saying you should do it. You know, my lawyers tell me that um, you should probably take here, take this box. See what happens. I am his lawyer. That's right. You can also watch uh, all of Never Ending Story <laughs> 3 on YouTube. So there's like a whole. Well, that's because nobody gives a shit. About exactly. That. You can also so. watch all, all of all of <laughs> fucking the wrong Kroll movie. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Kroll the Conqueror. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and Kevin Sorbo, we trust. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about Clive Barker for a minute. Um, if you haven't heard of him, he's a British author, um, contemporary. He still writes to this day, although he has moved into a more like fantasy, urban fantasy style. Not so much the the horror stuff anymore. Um, he began uh, gaining some notoriety after writing the Books of Blood, which I mentioned before. There are six of them. And then he wrote the Damnation g- Game in 1985. Um, he moved towards... Modern fantasy, like I said, you may have heard of Weave World, um, The Great and Secret Show, uh, or Amanjika, those and The Sacrament. Those are kind of his early 90s, late 80s books, not including uh, The Hellbound Heart. And and he got that quote from Stephen King. Prior to writing and directing his adaptation, um, he wrote screenplays for this movie called Underworld, and it's not the Kate Beckinsale vehicle so that I'm you're thinking of. no longer interested in what you're saying. <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a bummer. Uh, Best item in Diablo. <laughs> no. The Beck and Sale. The Beck and Sale, yeah. Yep. Uh, and he w- did this other one called Rawhide Rex, which I I That's think we may want to cover on the next Halloween episode just because <laughs> it looks really bad. Like, really bad. Rawhide Rex is certainly a porno. I'm not going to hear any other discussion on I, that. Now I can't get like an image of the dad from Dinosaurs out of my head in a porno. Yeah. Like, that's all, that's, <laughs> that's what exact, I'm talking about. Those Hell are the two yeah. things that came together when you mentioned por- porno with that title. I, like I was thinking more it was the prequel to uh, Cartoon Network failed Project Generator Rex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. Uh, I think it's crazy that Caleb has been talking about Clyde Barker for five minutes and never mentioned the fact that he's an actual ghost in real life. <laughs> <laughs> he is pretty pale man i'll give you that uh his voice has also changed dramatically if you uh, watch interviews with him now uh and in the past like they are totally different people sounding That's a, he got um, he got his uh, he got his tonsils out and he ate a bunch of ice cream and it morphed his vocal cords i think it actually has to do with like some serious medical issues but yeah that, that could be it too mm-hmm. um so after after Hellraiser, he directed uh, Nightbreed, which I'm, most of us have probably heard of in passing, um, but it flopped pretty bad. So I don't I don't think it's that good of a film. Uh, and then he took a few years off to write and direct Lord of Illusions in 1995, which I have seen and is terrifyingly gross. But I still don't know what's going on in that film. So um, sounds like an Alex Ross special. I will download this now. <laughs> Uh, and then <laughs> oh, I've fucking seen this. I yeah, think you've seen I've it. Seen you've Master, seen it. Or, uh, what is it? Clive Barker's Master of Illusion? No, Lord of Illusion. Lord of Illusion. Whatever. I don't know. I... Master of Illusion was the Dana Carvey joint, right? Yes. Master yeah. of the yeah. Sky. That's, yes. ma- <laughs> That's where he looked like my landlord. <laughs> turtle. 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 <laughs> okay. Uh, 
<laughs> all anyone ever remembers of that, and especially now because it looks movie. just like Mitch McConnell in uh, <laughs> in modern day. Oh Jesus! Mitch <laughs> uh, so another thing you may not know about Clive Barker is he wrote the short story "The Forbidden," which is also part of the Books of Blood. But that's what they based the Candyman film series on. Hell yeah, Candyman! Fuck, that was mm-hmm. another one. Me and that kid tried to watch together, like those movies. <laughs> And then you ran home real fast. No, nah, I remember. Him, I remember his grandpa like singing that Candyman song to us. Does the Candyman sing a song? Yeah, there's a theme, right? Yeah, there's like a whistle yeah, theme, I believe. Fuck, fuck, like seriously, Daniel's grandpa. If you're like, I'm not gonna go. Dude might not be alive. I'm not gonna say anything. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are probably... you thinking of the Candyman Ken from Willy Wonka, Brandon? Or I mean, possibly. He might <laughs> like, you know, the Candyman's a horror movie, he right? Might have been <laughs> In my book, you never know, man. I, I just I, want to talk about I'm Washington, D.C.'s own uh, uh, fucking Tony Todd, who played who played the Candyman. He's six foot five. Oh, he's a tall man. Yeah. Taller than me, which is weird. He's a large boy. That. It makes me feel very uncomfortable. 62 years um, old, still kicking. Good for him. Good for him. Good for him. So Barker was also an executive producer on the film Gods and Monsters, which I had never heard of. I looked up the trailer. It came out in 1998, um, which received major critical acclaim. Uh, and I think maybe we should go over it. It stars Ian McClellan and Brendan Fraser, which is a very unusual <laughs> Sign player. me the fuck up. <laughs> it is not what you're thinking. It's it's a drama about... Oh, fuck. Uh, God damn it. A Los Angeles film director of like of monster movies who is who is gay and kind of has a thing for Brendan oh, Fraser and fuck. he's not gay, but they become friends and yeah. It's, I was thinking, okay, you said Gods and Monsters starring Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser, and I was immediately thinking Ian, McKe- Ian McKellen will be playing Ian McKellen. Jesus Christ would be playing God, obviously, or a, possibly <laughs> a pantheon of all the gods, uh, all Ian McKellens. And then Brendan Fraser would be playing some sort of Castlevania-style monster fighter boy, some sort of Van Helsing. That's a movie. That sounds I, better than the real. That film. is a movie I would watch. Yeah. Uh, and he's still like an active writer and producer today. Um, he's also currently well, he did write a spec script for a reboot of Hellraiser, but hasn't happened yet. So we'll see what's going on with that. Um, before we get into the plot. Um, which I'm going to have Alex describe to everybody because I think he's going to do the best job. Oh, shit. Um, I want to explain to everybody what a Cenobite is because we've used that term a couple times and it's not a term that you're using in your everyday language unless you're me. Uh, and so that means a Cenobite is someone who is a member of a communal religious order. Think of like a monk. Um, it's more of a technical term for a monk. You may have also heard the word hierophant. It's kind of the same thing. Uh, I think there is kind of a connotation of like dedication or like uh, zealousness. Like you're, they are extreme believers. <laughs> Zealotry. Uh, but that could be my personal thing. The The Hellbound Heart specifies that the these Cenobites are members of the Order of the Gash. Yes, uh-huh. the Gash. Uh-huh. That could mean a couple different things depending on how dirty your mind is. Oh, mine. It, uh, it went dirty. It how, went how, dirty. Di- how dirty is yours, Hill? Uh, I didn't think of that until you guys uh, typed lull after it in the show notes. So <laughs> that's how dirty my, my I'm not very dirty. My, my, mind, uh, my mind is as dirty as like a 1992 
Ford Taurus that just has not has been parked for like seven years. That's what I. That's about where I am. But it was <laughs> a southern owner, good. so there's no rust. Right. Okay, Alex. So without looking at my copious notes, of this let me click away from plot, your notes, and I'll just bring up a picture of Ashley Lawrence just, instead. I just want you to look at yeah Ashley Lawrence, and then like side by side, I want you to look at Skinless Frank, and I want you to tell yeah, me what it. happens in this film. All right, guys, let's uh, do this. First of all, I think James Hong is in this movie as an uncredited actor. Really? I'm oh, pretty sure. the the guy who sells the box, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I it's said fucking that same James thing. Hong. Yeah. I will put, it might I will, be. I will put. I mean, I look. I realize that might be a little bit stereotypical, right? But who else <laughs> do you get in 1987 to play the most stereotypical Chinese curio seller boy? Right? It's got the vo- he's got the voice. I need to pause the pause the frame and really look at it. Anyway, beside the point. So this movie starts out with some sort of dude with a weirdly manicured five o'clock shadow like it's not it's not a five o'clock shadow it's a beard it's, a, it's the shortest beard you can possibly grow um it's very and the dirtiest fingernails on the face of oh the planet. boy yeah uh and he slaps a few very old monies on the table monies i haven't seen in many years um american monies but either way so he slaps them on this table and he buys some sort of very curious and very uh lavish box from an old asian man in What's a bazaar your pleasure sir yeah, and he's like, my pleasure is fucking literally everything, because as it turns out, this movie is 100% my aesthetic. It's just Satan and fucking. That's all of it. It's just <laughs> devils and fucking. It's the fucking coolest movie. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, so the, the movie opens up, he buys this box, and then shortly thereafter, it's him, and he's like kneeling on a floor, and he's shirtless, and there's candles around him, and he's teasing this box like a weird square clitoris, like a Minecraft clitoris. Is- uncomfortably shiny in this he's a sweaty boy he's a moist boy um he's in an attic so yeah i mean, I mean you know it how they got up there it's yeah. the fourth floor no shit and it's also the 80s i mean like fucking who knows if they had ac and where he's at um so yeah he's uh he's on the ground teasing this this weird minecraft clitoris and uh it opens <laughs> up and some light- minecraft clitoris <laughs> is the best thing i've ever heard <laughs> So some some lightning explodes all around him, um, and then there's just hooks and blood and mutilation and all kinds of rad shit. And then suddenly you're in. Uh, you guys remember? Okay, I say you guys remember. I know every fucking one of you except maybe Brandon. You guys know the butcher, right, from Diablo? Yes. You're in the fucking butcher's house for a moment there, where there's just like bits and pieces of shit hanging from the ceiling, like meat and like gross. It's it's fucked up. It's real good. Uh, bits and pieces of this boy who got torn apart by these hooks. So then you move forward to a woman who I can only describe as, like, 80s grandma hot, um, and her husband who have just bought a house. Uh, I'm sorry, did you just say 80s grandma hot? 80s grandma hot, yeah. Go on, I'm sorry, I just uh, want to clarify. 80s grandma hot encompasses people like B. Arthur. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm saying yeah, you can see that with the hair. When you're like, when you're like 12 in like 1995, and you're watching reruns of, of Murder She Wrote, and you're like. I am like ten percent attracted to this woman, and I listen can't here, Mrs. Why. Lansbury. Yeah, she's about as hot as this a woman can get with shoulder pads on. Listen right. here, Mrs. Lansbury. My mom's going to be home in fifteen minutes, and this boner don't wait for no one. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's how that goes. So, uh, I, I I was lucky, man. I was a teenager when the internet was real. So, fucking whatever. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, uh, they buy this new house. Um, this woman and her and her husband, who looks like my neighbor, it's fucking blowing me away, man. I was watching this movie again today and was like, damn, this guy looks like Mr. Fox. That's fucked up. 
You're talking about Andrew Robinson and Claire Higgins. Uh, those are the actors' names. And yeah. Andrew Robinson is our good friend who played Elam Garrick in Deep Space Nine, if you don't remember that character. He's the tailor that was the exiled Cardassian. He's like the best character in that entire fucking show next to fucking Bourne, who's Norm Cheers, but like a big fat alien. See, I love it's this shit. True. I, I love, I love, I love that Remy is like deep on some Deep Space Nine shit right now. <laughs> I'm working my way through Next Generation, and it's very good. Uh, Deep Space Nine is is coming. Uh, let's talk up about soon. let's talk about Andrew for a second because he was hot off the success of Dirty Harry. Yep, um, where he played Scorpio, the the serial killer, um, and he he took this role. He was mostly a theater actor, and he probably he's pretty much remained a theater actor for the majority of his career. Um, and he took this role to expand his career opportunities. And he is on record on an interview as a making of for this film that he is pretty sure that's going to fail, but that's okay. Cause he really, really dug the, the character that he was playing and he gets to play, um, you know, basically two characters mm-hmm. in it, which is pretty cool looking at like himself. Um, but like he was totally up for, for this challenge, which is pretty ballsy. No, that's, um, that is pretty cool. Um, the opportunity afforded to you as an actor to be able to play sort of both sides of that who are indeed two different characters and not just some sort of like shift in personality. That's pretty neat. Um, yeah. So these folks, they bought a house. Um, the movers show up, uh, as a guy that works for a moving company, I can tell you that, uh, those movers are, that's pretty, that's pretty accurate actually. Um, <laughs> like that might be some of the best acting in the movie is the movers literally looking at, looking at the homeowner and saying, do you have any beer? Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. So anyway, yeah, uh, all this is going on, blah, 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 blah. As it turns out, um, I guess the uh, 80s hot mom, I forget her fucking name. What's her name in the movie? Guys? Julia. 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 Um, I'm bad with names. So 80s hot grandma. Yes, 80s hot grandma. Uh, the house that they have purchased is, I guess, where the man who previously purchased uh, the the box had perished in this horrible well, it was Cenobite accident. They're brothers. They're brothers. Yes. And it's their mom's house that he like is inherited. Oh, shit. Is that what they're yeah, dude. Man. So they're moving. Him and his wife are moving into the house, like their mom's old house that he inherited. And he hasn't seen his brother for years. There's no way he assumed he's in jail. Turns out, like up in the attic of this house is where all that shit went down. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. I haven't seen a movie sober in six years. <laughs> <laughs> they they find his brother's. Uh, uh, I think it's um, either. Well, I guess it'd be. It's like a suitcase and the, a bed and shit, right? Like yeah, it's but like the pipe. Hobo it's bed, like a pipe yeah. that's like made out of uh ivory of uh, two people fucking yeah right yeah and it's a, it's frank's little meditation center yeah i wouldn't call it that i think he's doing um meth or heroin it could be with i think he's smoking meth i think it's just chaos magic dog it's just fuck magic well it could be you know? well true. in the book he's like shitting in jars kind of like a, a a hughes sort of thing so like i mean it's it's very more in-depth in the book like the shit that frank was up to before frank like opened the puzzle box and stuff hmm. like he was going fucking crazy in that attic so yeah yeah we should mention the reason why frank found want, wanted to find the box is because he is tired of this world and all of its garbage like this dude has apparently fucked everyone he can fuck done all the drugs he's ever wanted to do uh, ripped off everybody and been a horrible bastard for his entire life and has decided that he wants more, specifically sex. He wants to be like, he wants to have like a, a tensum with him in the middle of like all these women. Uh, and that's why he tries to find the box, thinking that that's going to be the result is basically like virgins with, with lacquered 
thighs are going to open up the, their vaginas to him because he's amazing. He thinks he is just God's gift to the world. <laughs> the word lacquer upsets me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> they literally say that. I am quoting the book. Yeah, I know. I'm disturbing. Just... Lacquer, though. <laughs> um, it's going to be hard for him to move on. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know, man. I work with lacquer. <laughs> like, it's fucked up to think about. Um, so, anyway, shellac is also made from, like, crushed up bugs and shit. Think about that for a minute. Um, next time you sit on your grandma's table. Do you sit on tables? I don't know what the fuck people actually do with their lives. So, um, yeah, a guy opens up the box and people move into this house. Um, you know, they find out, hey, oh shit, uh, Larry is the, was his name Larry? Mm-hmm. Larry. Yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. All right, man. Score one for fucking dope team over here. Um, so they find out Larry's brother, Frank, has been living in the attic, etc. Uh, at which point they're like, well, he was here fucking at some point. I mean, but of course he was because why, why wouldn't he be? Um, and then Julia starts having all these uh, very fun memories of the time that she and Frank boned down real good, boned down hard on it. Um, and I would like to say right now that in this very moment, I would like to say this story, a lot of people say, okay, this is just like torture porn in video form. A lot of people will say, oh, well, this is actually more of like a story about what Julia is willing to do uh, in the name of love and in the name of whatever she's into, right? Um, I would say this is a cautionary tale. Yo, dog. Dick your girl right, because if you don't, someone else will. <laughs> Probably your brother, and also demons might happen to you. <laughs> I will point out some interesting things about that sex scene. One, uh, both in the book and in the film, they're fucking on her wedding dress. Hell yeah. The day before she's going to get married to Larry, who in the book is named Rory, which is very confusing. Um, and then also in the book, they basically say it was rape, but like, She's fond of it, which is really awkward. Well, to think about. Mm, I, mm, no, mm. she was willing. Yeah, but it was very. But here's, but here's the thing, man. These people are into shit. You know what I'm saying? And that's oh, I, yeah. That's another thing about this movie is so much of it was inspired by the idea of the S and M movement. Uh, that you see fr- people like Frank, who are like all these pictures that he has, and and these weird sexual conquests, and 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 the sex scenes that are in the movie. None of it's rape. But it's all like outside of your sort of Judeo-Christian like missionary norms. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of it's, oh, yeah. it's weird. Uh, I super love that shit. That's like that's really cool. That was in a movie from the fucking year I was born in. Like that's weird. <laughs> um. Anyway, where the fuck was I? Yeah. Just fucking just go somewhere with this. Larry gets his hand cut. His cut. The, ble- the blood, he comes looking for Julia, who's in this attic, this the attic where Frank disappeared in, and the blood, Larry's blood drips on the floor. And from oh, that, yeah. Frank is reborn in this amazing sequence um, that was shot mostly in reverse, where Frank's body recomposes itself from, from that blood. It, the floor sucks up the blood, and then out comes gross, goopy, skeletal Frank. Considering that this is 87, that's some dope-ass practical uh, effects right there. Like, it's kind of surprising that they managed to pull off what they pulled off. Like, I mean, it looks hokey now, but, like, you got to figure at 87, you'd be like, wow, this is way better than anything in Puppet Master. Yeah. Oh, easily. Yeah. Well, I was watching... It's the shining moment of this film as far as 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 practical effects go. Yeah, I mean, look look at the season one ender 
from Next Generation where they have that uh, that oh, the, God. It's the, it's that it's the first time you see some fucking gore in the next generation, right? That guy's head explodes and all that bullshit from the little the brain worm, whatever, right? Uh, I saw that and I was like, yo, this is fucking Star Trek. Like everybody knew about this shit. I'm sure the budget for that episode was more than was more than a million dollars. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or at least they had talent. You know what I mean? On par with a professional movie. Like I watched this scene and was like, oh shit, it's better than that, which is kind of crazy considering the budget for this fucking movie. That was a main huge like portion of their budget. They only made it, I believe, for a million dollars. Um, and so I have no idea how they pulled that off other than pulling some favors or, or whatever. Um, million dollars, 1987 is probably something like five now, I would think. That sounds, that sounds too much like math. <laughs> yeah, math stuff. So once this happens, like Julia eventually finds Frank in the attic and he tells her that the blood brought him back and she, he needs more of it. And will she give him more blood? And she says, yes. And she starts seducing men and bringing them up there as if she's going to have sex with them. And then she murders him with a hammer in the book. It's a knife, which is a little, well, it makes a little more sense. The hammer is kind of a weird weapon uh, for her, I think. But, uh, and, and one of the things that made this movie X rated originally is they showed even more head being bashed in. And one of the actors decided that he wanted to be naked. Like that was, his choice as a, as his moment on screen is he wanted to be naked when she killed him. So they had to take that out. They had another shot where he was clothed, but, uh, and they put that back in. I think the hammer is like more brutal than a knife would have been. Like I remember thinking that as I was watching, I was like, man, those are, those are some brutal blows. I watched like, an, an episode when I was really little of rescue nine one one. I think it was, or maybe it was unsolved mysteries about a woman that put a hammer inside of a gallon Ziploc bag and beat a man's skull in with it. Oh, and the reenactment itself was typical cheesy reenactment shit, I would imagine. But like, it fucked me up, dude. And now when I think about hitting people with hammers, like that's the one thing I'm like, maybe don't do that. <laughs> do that? She did that to keep the blood off of it. Yeah, I guess. Huh? You apparently actually. have never seen the raid too. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh no, I haven't. I need to watch both of those. Films, oh yes, so you do. Not. Um. So we haven't really talked about Kirsty. Who's Larry's daughter? She doesn't show up till like end of Act One ish after Frank shows up, or around the same time Frank shows up uh, in his undead form. Um, but she's Larry's daughter, played by uh, Ashley Lawrence, and she almost gets like at the first. Like, you think she's gonna die like right away because she almost like goes up into that room with the new, the freshly resurrected Frank, but she doesn't. And they don't really show her that often until mm, midway through the second act. Uh, after Julia's killed a whole bunch of people, Frank gets more substance to him and becomes skinless, but has all his muscle. Um, and he keeps trying to like tell Julia, maybe we should just kill my brother, Larry, because Larry is kind of lame and you don't like him anyway. And you like me. So, you know, let's let's get out of here and, and kill Larry. And that's basically what happens with. Uh, there is one part of the middle where Christy gets or Christy gets captured by Frank and he almost kills her right then and there, but he's perverted and he wants to have sex with his niece. So, but, but, but he does, he does the thing with the skinless finger, like in her mouth and in Julia's mouth, which number one has to be unsanitary. And number <laughs> two, like just like Hi. you are dripping like some sort of like pus and or blood into someone's mouth and like, come to daddy. Like that <laughs> shitty voice that he does that dub over. Oh God. Alex is ready. Go. I have a thing to say about Frank. All right. <laughs> so here's a fucking thing. 
so throughout this movie, the more people that die, the more he is rejuvenated, right? He absorbs their meats and bloods and juices and life force and whatever, right? Very good. Um, there are points in this movie where he says things like, smoking a cigarette, he's like, I could taste this. I haven't tasted anything in so long. Or like when he says, uh, you know, fucking my nerves are coming back. I can finally feel things again or whatever. Like, like fucking great. Whatever. That's cool, dude. Hey, by the way, you've got like a shitload, 100% exposed flesh and musculature. What's up with that infection, dog? <laughs> What's up with fucking bacteria, my dude? I'm kind of surprised you weren't going after the white button down shirt and like Hagar pants collection that he had going on. Because like, that's where I went with it. Because that shit was like covered in blood. He's like, yeah, hey, it's me. He's smoking the cigarette. Like he's like your old like Italian uncle, but like like worse because he's bleeding everywhere and it's just like <laughs> you know why that fucking scene exists which is amazing to me is that apparently the guy who did who was uh playing frank whose name i don't have in front of me because i'm not looking at the notes but uh the guy that was playing frank would apparently get all up in makeup and shit and then would sit around and smoke cigarettes and clive barker saw that saw him sitting there in this like juxtaposition of him as like this monster but hanging out smoking a cigarette and was like yeah you know what that should be in the movie that's a really good fucking look <laughs> and I'm like hey clive Maybe super not, dude. Yeah, I just, I couldn't imagine that, like, all the the makeup that they had to go through to make him look like that, first off, and then, like, have it drip on, like, a white shirt and, like, Cheetos of some sort. Like, it's the 80s. Were, were they slacks or were they Cheetos back then? Like, does anyone remember? Because my Saturday Night Live from that back then isn't as up-to-date as I'd like it to be, but I'm almost sure there's a Gap sketch, sketch back then, right? Or is that the 90s? Sounds right. So that was actually Oliver Smith who played Skinless Frank, and he does a pretty good job, I have to say. There were there were two people that played Frank. Um, one was Sean Chapman, but that was the human version, the super scuzzy Miami Vice uh, version of Frank, uh, and then Oliver Smith. And, and both of them were dubbed over. In fact, anyone except for Julia and the people she, the men she picks up to kill, um, they were all dubbed over. This the. New World Pictures decided that Americans didn't like people with British accents and so decided to dub over as many people as possible. That explains a whole lot because watching this movie today, granted, I wasn't in the clearest of mindsets, but I'm watching this movie and I'm like, this shit doesn't fucking seem right at all. <laughs> like, these, voices aren't always, these voices aren't always lining up and I think I've drank too much. <laughs> it's a reverse Doctor Who episode. Kind of. <laughs> God damn it. Um, so we should get back to like the plot. So ah. Kirsty and Frank. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's talk more about Kirsty. That's if we're talking about Kirsty, it's good. Yeah, I think we've kind of put it into our new show topic, which is Ashley Lawrence. She's pretty hot. <laughs> um, so Frank tries to to diddle her because she's hot, and she grabs him by the guts, which is a really awesome move to do to a guy whose entire innards are exposed. And then she finds the box, which. <laughs> is in the room the whole time. Why isn't he hiding the box? Like, I don't understand why that's not in some sort of safe. Like that'd be the first thing that I would say if I'm trying to hide from my tormentor captors, the Cenobites, uh, I would put the box in another box that had a lock on it. Nah, you just casually throw it on the floor, throw it on your little hobo bed. It's good there. Yeah. Also, nobody called the cops in this movie. So, like, at some point, this is like fucking who knows what's going on. Really, that's true. Good point. <laughs> Do they ever though <laughs> in any of these eighties movies? I think that's why people. Solved? I think that's why people at large just don't fucking trust cops and never have is because like in movies, yeah. nobody calls. You them. were trained. You were trained not to call the cops. It's been a government conspiracy since nineteen eighty three. That and I mean, 
West Coast rap. You know what I mean? Like that's true. That's true. So <laughs> I don't I don't know what that means. Uh, so. So Chrissy throws the box out the window and then runs out. And Frank's too distracted to stop her from leaving. Uh, and Julia apparently doesn't want to stop her either. So Christy gets out and then like passes out and wakes up in a hospital. And they kept the box, which again, weird. And she opens it inside her room and goes down a hallway. And there we meet the engineer, the creepy monster-y dude. The very anime-like characters and casts of evil Cenobites, they don't, they totally look like they're anime-related, especially the one that has, like, the, the pin in his mouth that goes all the way around, like, the big ring. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, the female Cenobite, yeah. yeah that yeah. looks like an evil anime character, like, straight out of, like, Ninja right. Scroll or something like hell that. Hell yeah. Kind of reminds me of Piccolo. Like, obviously Pinhead's, like, the most popular Cenobite, but the one with, like, where he has no eyes, just his big-ass teeth, like... What's his name? I don't even know which one. Which one? Lips so none of them, not the fat one. None of them. <laughs> the other one. None of them officially have names. Um, oh wait, 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 wait! Pinhead has an official name. It's the Hell Priest. He's the Hell Priest. Yes, he was called the Priest mm-hmm. uh, in the original play or the original screenplay, and then they changed it to Lead Cenobite when it came time to like do the uh, the credits and whatnot. They all got their names from kind of jokes on set, actually. So Pinhead was kind of obvious. He's got pins sticking out of his head. Um, the chatterer is the one you're is thinking that, of, Brandon. He's the creepiest one to me. That dude, I agree. Creepy. The thing that's creepiest about the chatterer to me is that he constantly is trying to stick his fingers in his victim's mouth, which is a very invasive thing to that, do. Someone. That led to a real bad, a real bad issue on set uh, one time because he was completely fucking blind in his costume, and when he stuck his fingers into, I believe, Ashley Lawrence's mouth, uh, because he was blind, he sort of just jabbed at it to try to find him and skinned the whole soft powder mouth, like ripped her shit Ugh, up inside. Ouch. Ugh. Yeah. He was wearing gloves on too. So that hadn't had enough taste good mm-hmm. either. Uh, and then the fat one is called the Butterball Cinnabite. Um, he was supposed to have speaking lines in this film, but because the mask was so restrictive, uh, they just couldn't make it. It looked really bad, apparently. So the female Cinnabite got all the lines that Pinhead didn't take as well. So they kind of just divided them up between those two. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about the Butterball Cinnabite is I think his his character looks cool. Like the makeup is cool and all that. But the glasses fucking kill it for me completely to where i'm just like he's just like a fucking joke you know what i mean if you remove the glasses the like welding glasses he's wearing uh which he does mm-hmm. at one point in the film i'm like sure yeah i get that like, that's the dude i want to see but otherwise he just looks like a fat guy in a motorcycle jacket and it fucking super sucks think dick tracy and think baby face there you go that's you what go. he looks like to me yeah. yep i feel you uh he also like you don't get to see his true i guess like affliction or gory part at all in the film and and what they they designed it it's there but you just they don't ever get a good shot of it where you can see his belly is like exploding because he's like the idea was that he had eaten too much like he's a glutton and his guts are exploding and coming out of him uh because he is such full of of other guts and food and blood and Hell gore yeah. i wish uh, when we ate food they just turned into more guts <laughs> like a pumpkin like like the Nickelodeon show? No, 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 no. Not like slime or, or not like Nickelodeon guts per se. But I mean, like, I just wish that guts. I wish that it wasn't so much like, oh, like subcutaneous fat and shit like that. I just wish it was just like more giblets. You know what I'm saying? More guts, more intestines and shit. I like to think of a guy who's like 350 pounds as just being 200 pounds of fucking guts. 
<laughs> it would make you really squishy. I'm I guess they're really squishy anyway. Um, so saying. after after Kirsty is uh, is attacked by the same people who attacked Frank initially, um, she kind of puts the pieces together and realizes that Frank escaped them, and so she uses that as a way to prevent them, at least initially, from taking her to their. Doesn't he pleasures. straight tell her that up in the attic? Did he like it was the escape that he escaped them and No, he tells Julia okay. that, but he doesn't tell Kirsty that. No. She had no idea. She actually is pretty smart and figures out like, oh, Frank, you know, knows these guys and that's why he's all messed up and I gotta not die either. In the book, it, she puts it together really quickly because and actually I think I think she no, in the book she has a conversation with the main Cenobite and kind of lays it all out. It says like, Hey, like, do you know Frank Cotton? And they're like, Oh yeah, we know Frank. We've already dealt with him and we're done playing with his soul and now we're on to you. And she says, How about what if he escaped? Like, what if that happened? And they're like, That can't happen, it's impossible. And she says, But he figured it out because he's over here and they're like, If you're tricking us, we're gonna tear your soul apart. If I mean, because that's not really a threat, because they're gonna try to do that either way. Yeah, they are um, the order of the gash. You know, they're not fucking around. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, so they all have ill, uh, ill-placed facial hair. Yeah. So they <laughs> exactly they uh, allow Kirsty to go back and try to get Frank to confess. And when she goes back, she's just looking for Larry because, of course, Kirsty's very afraid for her dad and. She doesn't. She finds Larry and she finds Julia. Except for Larry's got a little bit of blood on his temples and behind his ears, and he's kind of slimy and he's kind of weird. He's out and acting like himself. And this is where this is where Kirsty loses all fucking credibility. Yeah, she kind of gets real dumb. Hey, my dad, who I love so much. Oh my god, daddy, thank you. I'm so glad it's my dad. Hey, dad, how are you doing? Ignore the fact that he's literally got blood pouring from his hairline and ears and shit. Like, what are you doing? I should point out that in the novel, uh, Kirsty is not is not his daughter. She is a woman that has been in love with with him forever and just is a hanger on. I don't know how else to explain it. She just hangs around and like is apparently hoping that Julia will either leave or die so she can have Larry to herself. Hell yeah, just kind of weird. That's the kind of woman you need, man. Dedicated. You know what I mean? That's true. Just seems like they've been married. It seems like they've been married a while. So I think she would have given up on. I mean. You. Just a paper, you know. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> uh, watch out, everybody! Alex is coming for your ladies. Way to break up your families. <laughs> Lock up your Kirsties. Lock up your wives. That's right. <laughs> At this point, we figure out that Frank has succeeded, convinced Julia to allow him to kill Larry and stolen his skin, and that's how they plan to get away. And it almost works until Kirsty hears Larry use. The the phrase that Frank did, come to daddy. Yeah, and he puts a little emphasis on come, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> he says he says come to daddy once, and he says come to come. daddy, and I'm like, oh, bro, mm-hmm. all right. Yeah, it's it's not a great line at all. Yo, dog, uh, you are literally her uncle, possessing her father's body. And being real pervy about it. Which, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, that's that's Frank. That's classic Frank. That's, you know yeah, what I mean? Classic, classic Frank. Frank. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, Kirsty tries to get away and Julia stops her. Frank goes to stab Kirsty and accidentally stabs Julia. I say accidentally because he's not mm-hmm. too sad about it. He ends up sucking her dry, or at least partially dry, for her guts, um, as Alex puts it. Put more guts inside and, of you. 
Right, to put more guts inside of him. <laughs> Correct. And then Kirsty tries to escape, uh, almost succeeds, and then gets trapped into the main room, the dank room, or the I think they call it the damp room in the book, which is pretty <laughs> fitting. I wish Frank lived in the dank room. <laughs> the dank room is better uh, in our current vernacular. But uh, I've been in a few dank rooms. I'm sure you have. I think you're in one right now, actually, now that I think about it's pretty it. pretty dank. Um, <laughs> This is part where it gets kind of cool is that she gets Frank to admit that he killed Larry because she trips over Larry's dead body and starts crying about it. And he says, don't worry, baby, like Larry or, you know, Uncle Frank's here. You don't have to worry about Larry no more. Just try to like that's got to help her out or something Mm -hmm. like that's going to make her wet, which is super weird. Uh, And then the Cenobites show up and save the day. And and that's kind of one thing I want to talk about. Like the Cenobites are kind of until right after this scene the heroes of this film, which is really weird because we think of them as the villains. Hey, Caleb. Yes. Some call them demons. Some call them angels. It's true. I was just going to say, like they, they mentioned that very clearly at that one point in the movie, just to, I, I think they did that on purpose. Indeed. Uh, and they take Frank away and hook him up real good to their hooks and tear him apart. And he's really excited by it. Like, he's got that face on, like, this is the best orgasm of my life, like, face, which really kind of uh, made me feel like an awful human being having seen that um, because, you know, Catholic guilt or whatever. But, yeah, I wasn't really too into that face he made. Like, that was that was a face <laughs> of a man who was super enjoying himself, and it was weird to see, like, you know. Yeah, they mentioned in the book that, like, it's not – it is pain – but they, the Cenobite's gift, so to speak, is to enhance your nerve endings to the point where every sensation is pleasure. Like literally, he turns his eye or falls to the ground from this overload of nerve endings and is in complete and utter ecstasy, which kind of makes sense why maybe the hooks in his face and hands and arms and everywhere is pleasure. Doesn't he mention that, that that's his purpose of finding the box in the first place is he was looking for this like next level of like sexual pleasure that was pain in a way. Um, he doesn't know that it's pain uh, per se. He is told through his research that it's just untold pleasure. Hmm. Let me tell you something, boys. Take your, take the backs of your fingernails and rub them real gentle on your forearm. Right. And that's a nice tickly, pleasurable feeling. <laughs> and then you increase that pressure. And keep increasing and keep going and keep going till the blood trickles out and then keep going some more. And at some point, man, it's just a matter of fucking scale as to what pleasure is, what, what what's pleasure and what's pain. It's all a fucking one to ten scale, my dude. It's just where you want to live on that fucking scale. Frank wanted to live on a fucking ten, man. I'm not judging Frank. He can have whatever he wants. I'm, I'm That's all him. Hey, the dude in the cell was all about it, too. Hell yeah. Great movie as well. Uh, I took a date to that so, movie once as a teenager. Bad fucking call. <laughs> Jesus, Alex. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck it was. I thought it was a horror movie. I was just like, yeah, I was going to go see this horror movie. And I, that certainly did not work out in my favor. No, I would guess that dried up real quick. Um, there is an interesting scene in this. Apparently, the original line for when Frank's head, right before Frank's ex- head explodes and is ripped into a million pieces, he says a line. And, and the original one was, fuck you, which is the same as it is in the book. Um, but, uh, Andrew Robinson, sorry, Andrew Robinson, uh, decided to change it and he made it Jesus wept, which I think is actually pretty brilliant. That's really good. Um, yeah, that was kind of like out of nowhere and really creepy 
Apparently he ad-libbed a lot in Deep Space Nine, too. So there's just shit I've been learning about because I'm mildly obsessed with that show at the moment. Sure, yeah. Well, he was no, he he. I forget what the other anecdote is, and I should have put put it in the notes here. Uh, he had ad libbed another part. Oh, enough of this cat and mouse shit. That was an ad lib line as well. Um, that they they shoved in and, and and kept. And I think that just is maybe his style. You know what I mean? Maybe he maybe he just tries it out and sees what sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of using Jesus wept as sort of a a closing line to your character and also sort of to the movie is mega interesting to me because it is the shortest verse of the Bible. It is also, you know, much like every every verse of the Bible or every verse of Scripture, you can interpret it a couple different ways. And the different Im- interpretations are super fucking interesting depending on what mindset Frank had in that very moment. You know what I mean? Like understanding that Jesus was a mortal and thus he wept. Or understanding that Jesus was so full of rage or or or, or emotion, unless he went like it's it's the strangest thing to analyze that singular line. I would argue that line is probably the most important in the movie. I would agree. It's also um, apparently Andrew Robinson's one of his favorite sayings, and he says it pretty regularly. I'm sure it fucking does. I don't understand the context of why you would all you know on a regular basis. Drop an orange in the uh, supermarket. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. <laughs> no, what was he talking about? Like when Jesus got crucified and like, you know, it was painful. So he cried. Like, is that what he, he's trying to say? Or he wept because he was betrayed. Like, it kind of feels like it could be either of those things. Cause Frank at that point, it's like in a shitload of pain or pleasure or whatever. Actually, it's a, uh, it has to do with, uh, uh, John's narrative and the death of Lazarus, Bethany, um, who was a follower of Jesus, Lazarus's sisters. Uh, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that uh, of their brother's funny. illness and impending death. I legitimately could um, not remember where that was from. I legitimately could not. That's how. That's how far. <laughs> that's how far removed I will, I am from that right now. Oh, that's really good. That's Brandon. That's comforting, my man. Yeah. Well, it is to me too, as, as well. So. So yeah. So Jesus wept for Lazarus because he showed up four days too late to to see him before he died. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird then in context of the movie now, but it doesn't matter. Well, yeah, I didn't really get the whole... I didn't get the usage of it. I just thought it was creepy. Was just the the fact to use scripture there at all is super creepy. Yeah, no, it's kind of weird too because uh, Andrew Robinson seems like he's like the very early prototype for like Willem Dafoe. Did anyone else kind of get that kind of feel off him in that movie? I Not until you said it, but hell yeah. He kind of seems like he could be, like, that super creepy, like, Willem Dafoe, like, you know, you were going to watch Death Note, the live-action movie, only to see how well he did as the Shinigami and fuck the rest of it, but... I and mean, he is the best part of that film, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. No, he's very creepy, like, that whole, like, even in, uh, the hell was it, Beyond Two Souls that he did the motion cap for and the lines, like, he was creepy as hell on that as a father. He's like, you know, it's your birthday. It's like, oh, God. You know, Willem Dafoe, a lot of actors um, have had beef with him over the years. In fact... Uh, they had to hire a body double for him during one movie he filmed, I think in the eighties, uh, because he was to wear either no pants or very sheer pants. Um, and apparently that man is packing like a Pringles can between his legs. Hmm. Uh, and literally they were like, this is, I know this sounds like I'm sitting up a bullshit story. I swear to God, this is fucking true. <laughs> apparently that man's hog is fucking too massive for Hollywood. They were like, we have to get a body double because professional actors couldn't professionally act around this heinous dingus that he had <laughs> uh, too intimidating for even other actors that's crazy mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite a, stories a very about good, uh, 
Andrew Robinson probably would have played a very good John Wick uh, buddy there that Willem oh, Dafoe yeah, played he too. Mm-hmm. God damn so, it! I'm gonna watch John Wick again tonight. Don't live tweet it after Andrew Robinson gets ripped apart um, as as Larry, but Frank in Larry's skin. Still very confusing. Uh, then Kirsty starts run down the stairs and she thinks she's scot free, but turns out that, you know, Cenobites not hundred percent on their word. And so they act like they're going to, to take her away like they did Frank. And so she runs into another room and finds Julia's body, which is now on the bed and like her face is flayed open, which is really weird. And in her hands is the cube, the box, the Les Marchands box. The thing that started this whole movie off and she opens it and as she's opening each sequence, she removes one of the Cenobites from our realm. Um, with the exception of the fat Cenobite, the butterball Cenobite, he gets, he the, gets the roof. Yeah, the roof just falls on him. I don't understand. It's very odd. Well, he's he's under such immense tensile pressure from all those guts inside of him. You know what I mean? So you just you popped him when the rafters hit him or something, right? That's how that goes. Yeah, so he leaves, um, and then th- we have another sequence with the engineer again. Like I don't, I guess they had it, so they might as well use it, kind of thing. But it's the engineer is the lamest part of this film, with the exception of one thing, which is after she gets out of the house with her boyfriend, who just shows up out of nowhere. By the well, way, uh, not only does he show up out of nowhere, but if you rewatch that scene, he immediately pulls the puzzle box out of her hands and tries to start solving it himself, and she takes it right back. And I'm just screaming at the screen like. Bro, this is not the time to start mansplaining this chick right now. <laughs> she's, she like, she like drops it for a second. Like, well, one's coming after him. He picks it up and starts to tr- start solving it. And she has to rip, like rip it out of his hands real quick. Yeah, and I was like, well, dude, what are you doing, dude? You don't you have no idea what's happening right now. You don't know what the fuck that thing is. Just you know, follow the lead for a minute, buddy. Yeah. Uh, and so then she leaves the house, and there's a cutaway or fadeaway. I can't remember which. And then the house is gone, and it's just uh, it's literally down, burned down to bricks. Also, and mortar. <laughs> what in the fuck is up with this city they live in? Because as they're panning down to the bricks and mortar you just mentioned, there's like a fucking hospital or business building or like office building. There's a gigantic multi-layered lit building in the background, like a block away, right? <laughs> so a whole fucking house burned down. And Kirsty and her flock of seagulls ass boyfriend is standing here in the fucking rubble. And Alan Moore, I guess, who the fuck is Alan Moore lookalike shows up, right? <laughs> and the fucking fire department never came? No, no no authorities, well, no police department, no paramedics, no one. I think it's supposed to be set in London, up. by the way, but that was the initial before they Americanized it. But um any town USA, bro. How how in the world did they watch the entire thing burn to the ground? Like, there's nothing left of that house, and it takes like a minute. Like, well, how long do they stand out there, like just standing watching this house burn? Like, Brandon, have you ever watched a house burn down? No. Is it pleasure? Is, is, yeah, check it out. That, it's pretty good. It's that mesmerizing. Like, you just can't move. Just fucking just, you just rad. It's the fucking coolest thing. I mean, probably not when you or someone you know lives inside of it, but like, if it's just a house that's burning, it's fucking cool, dude. It's like a hundred birthdays moved into one. That's a great analogy because it's just like that. And I tried to make a wish and the firefighters pulled me away. And then, so yeah, the hobo dude shows up, which he did show up in like one other scene where he was creepy and he ate some crickets like in the middle of the film for some reason. Oh, it's uh, the pet shows store, up. yeah. Yeah, the pet store. And he reach, walks into the fire and grabs the box 
and then his whole body melts away <laughs> and we're left with this skeletal demon dragon that yeah that flies yeah. away it's with bad judas priest yeah it's the worst effect of the film. Like I really wish they've said it was before that like they b- pretty much blew the whole budget. Like with those those first effects we were talking about that are pretty damn good for being in eighty six or eighty seven, and they pretty much just had no budget left to do this last scene, and that's why it just looks so hokey. But it is it is pretty bad. It, it's definitely the worst version of the never ending story I've ever watched. Um, True. <laughs> yeah. But you know, yeah. the one thing that we didn't mention in that house, while it's already burnt down to the ground, like there's one lone fucking kitchen chair that's still on fire somehow. Like it's made out of like partial, I don't know, fucking asbestos. Yeah, it's just sitting on the burnt, like burnt foundation. There's no flooring underneath of it. There's no room around <laughs> it. It's just a fucking chair. No one can predict fire, guys. Come on. It's a lone kitchen chair, Caleb. Uh, I would argue that the human torch can probably predict it pretty fucking good, my (laughs) dude. He's got a fucking password to make fire happen. That's true. Yeah, and then the last scene of the film is uh, the same Asian man who may be... uh, What was his name again? James Hong. It may be James Hong. Uh, or not, we're not sure, uh, giving the box to somebody else. This guy's got the best deal, I have to say. Like, he straight up just, like, handles the box and gets paid to yeah, give it does. to other people, and then it comes back to him. Like, I want that job. Handle the box, man. Mm. The box handle That's the job you want. Hey. Order the gash. Order of <laughs> the gash. It sounds like we're talking about marriage here. Like, just... Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Someone's got the box, someone wants the gash. That's right. <laughs> So a couple of more production notes. We mentioned quite a few, but um, Doug Bradley, the guy who played Pinhead, was was offered one of two two roles, which I found really interesting. He could either be Pinhead, the lead Cenobite at the time being cast, or you could be one of the mover men who are lifting a mattress at some point in the movie. Like, is that a choice? But he almost took um, being one of the movers because Pinhead was going to take heavy makeup, and he thought... He wanted if he's gonna be in film, he wanted his face to be seen. So he literally almost became one of the movers rather than Pinhead, which is insane to me. Well, and they had the, they had approximately the same amount of lines, right? And so he so he was like, "Fuck that!" If I'm gonna sit for fucking fourteen hours in makeup, right? Well, they and then it's ironic because they ended up giving Pinhead even more lines during filming because of the limitations of the other Cenobites. The home video release had a had bonus material. I don't know if it was at the beginning or the end of the movie, but there was a bonus material segment of an old lady selling um, movie merchandise, which is super weird to me. Like, like I think it was real. Like, there was a toll-free number you could call to buy Hellraiser t-shirts and shit from this lady who was officially, who was who put portrayed herself as a huge fan of the movie, a hardcore fan of the movie. I wouldn't put it past Clive Barker to do something kind of, you know, attempting to be, he's trying to be subversive. Yeah, exactly. Um, my favorite uh, uh, Hellraiser tidbit is that Louis C.K. jokes that people should have to solve the Hellraiser puzzle before being allowed to text when drunk. <laughs> oh yeah, hi, I just bought this cube and like every time I get drunk, like I can't operate it. <laughs> I don't understand. Like it just like shuts down and... You know, I like rub it like I'm rubbing a nipple. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what it starts uh, changing? Yeah, well, what you gotta do is it's uh, you got you gotta use your your nipples uh, instead of your finger. It's a nipple capacitor that's built into it. You gotta rub your nipples on it. So, but like, I gotta like 
Does it like a scan feature? Well, no, 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 it's like, no, 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 no. It's like it's like have you ever played Fruit Ninja? It's like yeah, it's like course. Fruit Ninja, but with your nipples. So I gotta like slide my nipple on the screen. Uh huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, first of all, I have a real problem because I can't figure out which side of this cube is actually the. Screen. Oh, it's That's it's all it's all problem. it's all screens. Oh, it's the Google Pixel Four. Four D, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Cubed Google Pixel cubed. Oh yeah, definitely. They really got to brand that thing better. Um. So, <laughs> uh, let's talk about like there's one member of the cast that we really haven't talked about. We talked about Andrew Robinson for a while. We talked about. Um, the fact that like Frank was played by three people, none of which have done anything amazing. I want to talk about Claire Higgins, who Alex affectionately calls a sexy grandma. Um, thank you for being a friend. She's probably, <laughs> she's probably the most accomplished actor in this film. Yeah. Um, I think she's great. Uh, like her performance is pretty amazing yeah i mean when you think about it this is 1987 and she is essentially the villain of this film i mean frank is the ultimate villain um but he doesn't have a body count like she does she does all the killing yeah dude all in the name of a good digging exactly <laughs> actually she's never seen this film cool she, i fucking she went to the premiere man. she hates horror movies yeah, she hates horror movies. She went to the premiere. She watched the first ten minutes and had to walk out. She couldn't handle oh, it. Oh, see, that's some bitch shit. I wouldn't even go on, man, because I can't. I, I like to. I like the one and done shit. I like to do a thing, put it out for the world to enjoy, and then never look back at it again. Yeah, uh, I'll mention that uh, other than Doug Bradley, the other people who play the Cinnabites really don't have uh, any kind of career. Uh, they replaced them, I believe, in the next. Oh, no, I think the next film. Both of the people who played the chattering and the Butterball Cinnabites respectively stayed on. But I think after that, they replaced them. Uh, and then the female Cinnabite in the first film, in this film, was Grace Kirby, who is Clive Barker's cousin. And she was immediately replaced by somebody else. And they kind of redid her whole look in Hellraiser 2 because the the piece that like goes from her neck to her shoulders was so uh, fragile that she couldn't turn her body. Like She had to basically sit mm. standing in the same position to make sure it wouldn't like pop off. It was kind of poorly designed for actual reality of, of filming, which is kind of a bummer. Looked rad though. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, all the designs are really good. Uh, I watched a thing where it was the, the character, the, uh, costume designer talking about the sketches she made. And, um, the note that Clyde Barker gave her was like, Leather, butcher, blood, and uh, bursting were kind of his yeah. like, keywords for her. I want them to look like super mega butchers, he said at one point. <laughs> or whatever the, whatever the fuck his wording was. Little known fact that all the Cenobites can actually be found in Miyazaki classic Spirited Away. <laughs> not, yeah. true. not true. <laughs> not true. Not true at all. I was like, yeah, totally, yeah. Really great Easter egg, yep. I have to say. No, but for real, in Princess Mononoke, a dude gets fucked to death by Pinhead. <laughs> That would be awesome. It just that movie up. is so gory. I love that movie. Hell God, yeah. Keep going. Um, we should mention that this movie made $14 million, which for a $1 million budget is extremely impressive. Which made, which was enough money for Clive Barker to get as many nipple piercings as he wanted. I think you can only and get like did. two. Nah, man. No. You can get at least four. I've seen at least four in real life. Well, I mean, yeah, per nipple. Two per nipple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you can go beyond that. Stretch them out a little bit, man. You can you can work them in behind each other. Then it becomes a 3D piercing situation. It's not just a dermal piercing on the surface level. It becomes an 
a gradient, an external thing. You know what I'm saying? How is your subscription to Body Mod Magazine going? <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, it lapsed because I spent all my money on just crack cocaine. Um, <laughs> gotcha. You can buy it with credit cards now. Do you know that? Bitcoin. It's crazy. Oh, that that uh, black internet, the dark internet, the dark webs, right? Uh-huh. That's where you get that <laughs> Don't say black internet, internet. <laughs> ever again. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> That's something else. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, and on that note, I think we should wrap this up. Um, yeah, because Caleb has a fucking arraignment in two hours for a hate crime. <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah, <laughs> things are not working out well for me. Um, we are part of the Ninja Pancake Network. You can find other podcasts like this one who are less controversial probably uh like loot shoot lane which is a show about blizzard games bombshell jackets which remy is on uh, which is about tom clancy's the division uh my morning coffee which is also one of remy's podcasts that's just like him like pouring his soul out to the internet and hopefully you will you know not hate him you'll laugh you'll cry it's good times that's like the one show I do where I wish people would give me feedback on because I'm like, you know, I'm sitting here like coming up with all these like interesting topics and like once in a while, like I get an email where it's like, man, I love this show and let me tell you why. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I feel good about this. <laughs> and then like I'll get like a letter from one of my pen pals who writes into my email like, you know, hey, I'm having a bad day, but your show's all right to get me through the day. I'm like, oh, it's all right, but it's getting you through the day, huh? No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. That's great. Really, I'm glad you said that because you were about to get a fucking essay from me. <laughs> <laughs> good uh and then uh alex's new show demonstrating uh, which is a show about mm-hmm. a few local friends and how they teach you to play games like dungeons and dragons and pathfinder and such yeah dog check it out when's the next episode of that coming out we're recording one i think saturday morning so probably end of the week i would think uh so music this week is special is brought to you by dream reaper uh he did the goosebumps theme and i'm gonna put another one of his tracks uh, I believe it's Angel Dust, Perturberator, uh, Angel Dust in the outro. So I hope you enjoy it. It's uh, only special for this. Uh, he sent us an email and he wanted a little shout out and I listened to his stuff and it's pretty good. So if you want to check him out, he's Dream Reaper. Uh, I believe you can find him on SoundCloud and you can um, download his music in a couple of places as well. So check that out. Yeah, well, uh, subscribe to been us. shouted out, buddy. Sorry. That's right, bro. <laughs> uh, subscribe to Geek Squatch on iTunes rate us and leave us a comment please we appreciate some feedback good or bad um, we're trying to be a little more loose with our episodes and entertain you in different ways so if you, I know we got some people who want us to bring back our trivia and we're working on a way to make that happen so um, if you're into crypto geekology never fear uh, we are trying to to bring it back be a perfect so, reason to email us give us some feedback yeah it would we'd love that that's that's a great point. Um, you can visit our website at geeksquash.com. Email us, as we mentioned, at podcast at geeksquash.com. Follow us on Twitter at geeksquashpod. Follow Alex at WA Hirsch, Brandon at Sesame State 83, me at Caleb MCC, and Remy, what's your Twitter? I forget. Rampancy, R E M P A N C Y. You have it the out best. You have the best Twitter handle of all. Joke from the original Warlock School. That's right. <laughs>